Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. International News Review. Morning and welcome back to the show. We are so pleased to have with us Angela Mancini, the partner for and head of APAC for markets in APAC for Control Risks. Good morning, Angela. Great to have you with us. Good morning. Great to be back. Sorry about that. I messed up your introduction a little bit. Joining us now is Angela Mancini, partner and head of APAC Markets at Control Risks. How was that? Better? That was perfect. There Absolutely we go. perfect. You know why? Because be he'll cut the first one when we do the podcast <laughs> later. So he'll just come in all slick and fresh. It'll, and we'll cut what you just and said you'll out, just too. cut that out, and then, <laughs> and then it goes. You, you, we're adding to the editing on this uh, particular podcast. Anyway, great to have you with us. Our good friend Steve Oaken is in Colorado right now at his son Mason's um, graduation. No, Mason? No. Not Mason. Uh, Bennett? Bennett's, Bennett's, Bennett's graduation. Bennett's, Bennett's, Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. So we're happy to have you with us. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great in, to see you. In fact, I'm enjoying having you more than Steve right right now. It's, well, you know, you're Steve much is, easy, yeah. you're much easier on the eyes, and and let's be honest, probably a bit more intelligent too. I don't know. <laughs> and he's and he's become a bit of a diva. It has to be said. We're beginning to feel like we're all living in Steve's world. It's becoming this. Am I wrong? It's because even look, even Max has had enough. Look, Max is nodding. It's see the, the things the things you say when you're not in the room, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure listening. he's listening. I'm we sure know he's listening. listening. That's yeah, why we're yeah, saying yeah. it. Anyway, Steve, hope you're having a good trip. And uh, congratulations to uh, to Bennett. Okay, let's get started because we got a lot to talk about today. You know, I, I'm sure you're well aware of all the, the talk about cost of living in Singapore. We've been talking about it uh, mm. probably, you could say, endlessly uh, over uh, recent uh, months. But it is a huge topic. We've, of course, got the school bus, both the international school and the local school buses, situation uh, for for school kids um, is out of control. Many parents now are just saying, forget it. I'm not taking the bus. It costs too much and or they're not dependable anymore. And just to add to that, this week, four local schools were without without buses because they just can't find the drivers. Mm. Can't get the drivers and all that. Mm. But then something that's a little bit more, I think, near and dear to a lot of people. Food, the um, the Ahui Big Prawn Noodle in Ballastir is going to close after sixty years because they can't afford the rent anymore. What's your take on this? You you know you've you've been here many years and you've seen what's happening not only in the expat community but in the local community as well. Yeah, I think I mean obviously it's challenging and it's buses. In fact, um, a colleague of mine is putting together you know private taxis in lieu of a bus. They got some parents together and kind of crowdsourced it, and that may be a solution there. But I think on the food issue and just more broadly, I mean. I mean, obviously, it's everywhere. Everywhere you go, every conversation tends to involve something around the rents and not just housing rents, but also commercial rents as things are coming due. Um, It's really sad when you see some of these iconic places Mm. um, facing these higher rents. I I would say it's not just Singapore. I mean, of course, Singapore tied with New York in The Economist's. Uh, survey of worldwide cost of living last year. I lived in New York for 10 years, and there's a famous 130-year-old cheese shop in Little Italy that had to close its doors because the rent went through the roof um, Mm. recently. So, you know, but I think the point there is, as we look at this, is it's it's hard not to think that inflation is here to stay. I mean, it's not, obviously, Singapore and New York and Tel Aviv and Hong Kong kind of top those really expensive cities lists. I do give Singapore a lot of credit because the government is doing quite a bit to try to address it from some of the support programs that we've seen and whatnot. But I think the reality is there's just a lot of money chasing limited, in this case, amount of land and kind of the rent, rent prices are going to go the way they're going to go. And I don't know, you know, it's, it's hard to see a, a near-term and easy solution when you have a situation where, mm. you know, companies are 
you know, having a harder time making money. We've got a land war in Europe. We've got, in some cases, potentially permanent supply chain disruptions kind of across the network. And that's just, you know, driving. It's just getting harder to make the same amount of profits and everything's going up. It's just getting harder to kind of handle mm. handle the costs going think on. That's an interesting perspective yeah. that we don't often think about, which is we think about Singapore, our, you know, our little red dot here. But many of the problems we face here are a result of a lot of, you know, geopolitical things happening globally. Yeah. And I will also say, I mean, a couple points on that. I took a look uh, on the way in this morning at the Worldwide Cost of Living Index and that they actually survey something like it's like 120 countries on that list where Singapore and New York topped it in December. And they had the highest increase in inflation across all the cities that they've had in 20 years. 8% on average. Singapore is probably more than that. Um, But the highest that they've seen. But, you know, if you look at it and you're saying, you know, from a kind of geopolitical perspective, you know, the following things are true. We had supply chain disruptions with COVID that in many cases still aren't back. We kind of cleared out the shipping routes, but there are some, you know, some supply chain producers that went out of business or people have had to move markets given what's going on geopolitically and the like. So that's kind of permanently built in cost plus. A lot of companies now have dual supply chains. So it used to be success if you're a supply chain manager mm, is mm. just in time supply chains, cheap, efficient. Now you'll get fired. Right. You need two supply chains. You've got to have that supply chain resiliency that's permanently built in cost, mm. you know, and then and then you just have, you know, other things that you're facing, you know, war in Ukraine and what that's meaning for food security and the, you know, the food supply chain. And so it's it you just have to pedal so much faster to make the same amount of profit, yeah. you know, and then you have people moving. A lot of people obviously moving into Singapore mm-hmm. and that's driving it up as well. So hard to see a yeah. solution soon. Well, the- that's what I was going to ask you. So do we just let market forces play out? Because you mentioned New York there. Famously, they have rent control. Steve Oaken often talks about the yeah. rent control that New York apartments have. We have an element of that in our hawker centers. There's an element of rent control subsidies. Uh, you mentioned the government. They do subsidize hawker centers to try to keep costs lower. So then to turn that on, then what happens next? Do we have to then pay higher prices? But then you come back to the inflation issue, you know, the cost yes. of living. So. What do we do here? Well, and I'll add to that, too. Then you say, okay, are we in a cycle of permanent inflation where you pay higher prices? And then what's next? Salary rises, right? So in just taking a look at the data, salary increases in Singapore, the experts say, are expected to be around 4.9, 4.7% this year, which is about the same as last year. So there is pressure on salaries to go up, but that's not really moving, although some companies have announced bigger than average increases. But it just becomes a cycle. And you think back to the, you know, the global economy in the 70s, where, Mm. you know, it's like, where does it end? But, you know, to answer your question, yeah, I think you do, you do pay higher prices, or you you know, you make other choices. I mean, we're seeing in our with our corporate clients a lot of um, conversation around consumers that would normally pick a premium brand are kind of trading down. So whether that be the restaurant or the mm. brand of beer you're drinking or the clothing that you're buying, you know, you're used to maybe buying a certain premium brand and now you're still buying, but you're buying a level down. So we're mm. seeing a, an increase in those kinds of companies. But um, again, it's a challenge. Hard to see an easy solution yeah. anytime yeah. soon. And do we... What it, I know we don't have the solution, but do you sense there's a tipping point? I was talking to someone yesterday who said there was, I'm not naming the school, but there were several teachers from a prominent international school in Singapore that were not renewing their contracts. Because even though the school, to your point, were, was raising salaries, it was nowhere near enough to cover the difference in the rising rents. Yes. So they're leaving. So that's my point. Is there a tipping point here? 
Well, hard to say because, you know, then where does that come back? Then that comes yeah. back to the fees that, you know, I have twins in international schools and it comes back to the fee increases for us. And then yeah. it kind of goes on on down the chain, which then mm-hmm. puts pressure on if you have companies paying or however you're going to, you know, earn the money to pay the fees for school, then it puts pressure on that. And um yeah, I guess, you know, economics would tell us, Adam Smith w- would tell us that there's an invisible hand and at some point there's a yeah. tipping point and things calm down. I will say, though, I again, I do give credit to the Singapore government yep. because that poor cheese shop in New York City applied for some kind of um, support and they never, their letter went unanswered, according to the report. So, mm. you know, Singapore is rare in the sense that it does have subsidy programs and it does have support that it's providing to businesses and households, which is Fairly it's, unusual. it's good, but is it enough, right? I mean, well, when, the, when everything's going up so much. Let's move on to Netflix. Uh, this Tuesday expanded its crackdown on password sharing to the U.S. and more than 100 other countries, including Singapore, uh, so that people cannot be sharing their accounts freely outside of, of their uh, of their domicile, of their home. And uh, look, on the face value, it just seems reasonable. Why should you be able to give a, a service that is a paid service free to other people that are not paying for it? But people have gotten used to having it for free, and it's hard to dial that back. Yeah, that's right. I do think, you know, I, I'm i with Netflix on this one, and I get it. I mean, further to our cost on inflation, things are going up, and the last thing people probably want to do is pay for Netflix if they've right. been getting it for free. But they've got... You know, published reports or they've got 232 million subscribers and they've got 100 million that are doing they're watching for free. Wow. So that just inherently <laughs> seems unfair. And listen, I give them credit. That's because, a big number, right? right? It's a big number. And the yeah. the subscription to add the fees to add new people is not that onerous. Um, and, you know, they, they I guess they trialed this process in, in Latin America and they have seen that a lot of people dropped off, but they're hoping that they come back. But they produce great content. Mm. I mean, I guess what, you know, further to your point, you said earlier, what, you know, what are our options if people don't want to pay? I guess they can go to Disney Plus or Prime, but the great content, a lot of it sits on Netflix. Mm. And, you know, I think the the real point is it speaks to the broader issue of what is the right business model for a service like that? Because it's not that different from, you know, New York Times or The New Yorker or other kinds of um, publications that, you know, need paywalls. And Mm. at some point, if you're going to have that content that's top notch, you either what? You either have a subscription where people pay and they actually pay or you have an advertiser model, which I Mm. think Netflix has has Mm. looked at, has been reported. But we all know what that looks like on social media. Mm. That's not ideal either. And then the incentives for the company to make money become different. It's maybe not such great content. It's more keep, you know keeping your eyeballs on the ads and whatnot. And that yeah. becomes both annoying and uh, in some cases, um, you know, damaging depending on who the viewers are. If there's children and whatnot, so I think it just to me it's the broader issue of what is the right business model for these platform media companies. And I don't think anyone's really cracked it. That I find absolutely fascinating because we've reached saturation point. There are many, many streaming platform providers. Singapore hasn't even got them all yet. Paramount Plus is still to come here. HBO Max has just been rolled out in the US this week. It's going to come to Singapore, I believe, next year. What I find fascinating about this, Angela, is do you think maybe from a business standpoint, Netflix is paying the price now for being a pioneer because they don't have the IP IP libraries that Disney and Paramount mm. and, and the other brands, Amazon, Apple increasingly have. And now you're seeing this fascinating thing where people like HBO are taking their content back from Netflix because Netflix are not the only guys in town anymore. So Netflix just doesn't have the 100-year library 
that Warner Brothers and Disney and other platform providers have. So do you see eventually that being a problem for them? Them actually being a pioneer, they may suffer as a consequence. Yeah, I mean, I see your point. I I do think, though, and listening to you, the question for me is, what is good content? And mm. that obviously is going to depend, of course, on who the viewer is. And if you look at kind of the Marvel series and things, there's 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 other companies that are producing great content yeah. that is not, you know, Netflix uh, produced. But Netflix has done an amazing job. I mean, The Crown, yes. Orange is the New Black. Everyone's, you know, um, excited right now about beef. I mean, there's a lot. I think they've really what they're it seems to me trying to do is really up their game in terms of the. Um, organically produced content that that they produce, you know, movies are actually it's more importantly series, and then you're attracting you know kind of loyal viewers that way. Mm. But again, it, you know, the other statistic I read recently is that for the first time actually in the U.S. this year, there's more U.S. adults that are getting entertainment digital video through these platforms than TV. So if right. you think about how yeah. we grew up, yeah, you know, yeah, parents yeah. saying, "Get off yeah. the you're always on the TV." That's good. That's you know going the way of the past. Mm. Yep. So I I do think they're going to battle it out. And again, it just to me seems they just haven't we haven't quite worked out what is that best business model for both the company and the viewers. Yeah. Okay. Three minutes on the G seven. <laughs> Yeah, so G- we, obviously we care more about Netflix than the G7 know, this right? morning, but this uh, give us some top lines though. The G7 met in in Tokyo this week and there were there were, you know, a few controversial things happening, but from your perspective and and what you're talking about with your clients especially at, at control risks, um what what were really the what were the key takeaways that yeah, we had? Yeah, there's a couple key ones. Number 1 obviously is uh Russia Ukraine. Zelensky made a surprise in-person appearance, which was, you know, kind of the he was the star of the show, did a lot of uh, got a lot of good outcomes with respect to getting the support from the states with the F-16 pilot training and some other financial support. He's trying to keep that on the front pages. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that went well for them. I think that, you know, that that issue, of course, is a huge issue for the G7, not just from a security point of view, but from a, you know, the best thing for the global economy might be, one would argue, to just get that situation tackled and again you get the supply chains and the in the food and control i think an interesting thing with the g7 is always the bilaterals Mm -hmm. so it's not just what's on the agenda but who meets so narendra modi of course prime minister of india met Zelensky. we don't know what they talked about because india has been supporting because india has been the one that's been supporting russia and interestingly of course they're chairing the g20 in september in delhi so that might be an interesting optimistic thing to look at you know if, if they can play some kind of role but i think it's you know it's ukraine um Interestingly, not a whole lot of talk on climate change. That was a bit disappointing. Um, Mm. There was a lot of talk on AI. So you may have seen that Japan just announced, I think it was yesterday, that next week, the Hiroshima AI process, which was stood up at the G7, where the countries are getting together to talk about what are we doing with generative AI in terms of disinformation, in terms of regulation and whatnot. They're actually getting moving on that. And then another one, of course, was nonproliferation. Hmm. Again, not a whole lot spoken about there, but obviously given the optics of where they held the G7, that was high on the agenda. But a lot of concerns there with Russia, concerns about North Korea, which no one seems to talk about anymore, but is still a high As if it's gone away. Yeah, which is still a high tracking risk for our clients. So I think, (laughs) you know, in some, what I think is important about the G7 is it's a chance to talk about um, 
you know, issues that actually do have potentially global solutions and bringing in more of, as you've, I'm sure you've read more of the quote unquote global South. Mm. So having the Troika, which are the heads of the G20, the developing countries, you know, uh, included in- Indonesia, India, and Brazil were all there. That's the past, current, and future heads of the G20. Really just gets the agenda to include issues that are important to developing countries as well as just the top seven global economies. Lots to uh, think about there and and look. Interesting that climate change was not on that agenda because this part of the world is a big yeah. And to be fair, it was, right? but it was it was uh, only lightly touched on. Got it. And it just in, in all the readouts of the summit, you know, barely even mentioned. And again, to your point, in this part of the world, you would have thought it would be top of the list. Mm, yeah, we got to close out real quick with a real live uh, car accident, crashing, whatever. A man was arrested after his car crashed into the gates at 10 Downing Street. Something out of one of the movies we were talking about earlier on Netflix. Yeah, we were saying that. And actually, Neil and I were in London, it sounds like, around the same time. And I mean, we went. I went past there to take pictures, and I was thinking, oh, I wish you could get closer. It's such an iconic symbol of democracy in the UK. It sounds like in this case... You know, the person had no potentially no malintent. They didn't find anything, you know, in his car or anything. Interestingly, the same week, this past well, this past week, uh, someone crashed in, tried to crash into the White House, and that person had actually wow. a swastika flag and <laughs> was threatening the president. So, I guess the broader point is, it can happen anywhere, and no matter how much time and money you spend, and this is you know, controversial industry as well, on just making sure that your assets and your people are safe and secure, something can always happen, yeah. and. You know, there you are. There you are. I mean, it was extraordinary. I've since seen the footage. The car goes very slowly, almost walking pace into the gates. I don't know the reasons we still don't. But I I will say this as a side note. People are filming it with their cameras and the police. (laughs) This is so British. The police are (laughs) screaming at them. There could have been a bomb in the car. Nobody knows, right? Get away, get away. And they were like, no, I'm going to film this. I'm just going to stand here and film it for Instagram. But to your point, Andrew, the risk element. Ultimately, if someone wants to take a shot, they'll take a shot. There's only so much security you can have in place, isn't there? Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Hey, uh, Angela, we've got to leave it there. Thank you so much for coming in today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Great to see you. Brilliant. Great fun. Have a great weekend. Angela Mancini, who is the partner at Control Risks and also the head of APAC for Control Risks. Always a pleasure. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thanks so much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.